Live from Chatterbox Sports Studios, it's Off the Bench with Tom Brenneman. Well, 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 lots of uh, fire in the house this morning already right out of the gate. I mean, well, first of all, and a pleasant good Monday morning to you. We welcome you to Off the Bench presented by United Dairy Farmers. I'm Tom Brenneman. It's a skeleton crew, as we like to say today. I mean, we've got the boss, Trace Fowler, and not a good mood. I don't know what else to say. Not a good mood. Elliot's in a good mood. Jacob's in a good mood. Gentlemen, good morning. I'm doing great. It was a long weekend, busy weekend, lots of uh, grad parties finally coming to an end. And uh, so thankful for all that and all the great work a lot of the moms and dads did. But I came in here today, probably had enough beer over the weekend to sink the Titanic for a second time. (laughs) And then I walk in here, but I'm in a good mood, ready to go. Um, And then Trace walks in. What happened? <laughs> I don't think we should get into this at the very front of the show, but I mean, I was at a brass band festival, Tom. Brass band festival in Danville, yes. Kentucky. Danville, Kentucky. Yes, nice uh, town. For those that nice don't people. know, it's about, you know, maybe 35 minutes south of Lexington. Very nice town. Very yep. nice people. Yep. Uh, brass bands can, can, um, can be hit or miss. And on top of that, um, this show isn't about me, but I, I do want to say that I did work like, I don't know, roughly about 35 hours. And then last night, as soon as I was getting home, you know, seeing my family for the first time yeah. since since Thursday night, I was told that, hey, we need somebody to run the show. I don't even know if the show's working at this moment. Well, I understand, and, you <laughs> at know, this point, uh, I mean, we've all had our moments with hot mics, and I understand that before we went on today, and hopefully none of you have uh, have shamed yourselves of anything that may have gotten out over the air before we went on the, went on the air. I would think of anybody that's capable, I, I'm, I'm going to give Elliot and I'm going to give Jacob a pass here, but I would right. think that anybody who's capable of running this equipment would be the boss. Well, you would think that, and <laughs> the good thing about a being a boss sometimes is that you realize that there are things that you must do in life and your business that require somebody that 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 spends a significant amount of time doing it. So what you do, Tom, is you say, you know what, I I know I can make more money by not hiring people, but I'm going to hire someone to take the stress and the burden off of me having to do it. So I'm going to take money out of my own pocket and I'm going to put it in someone else's pocket and let them do it. And then you get another one, and that's two employees. And then you get another one, that's three employees. And then you get another one, that's four employees. And the only thing I look around and see right now, and this isn't a shot at Casey because he's on his wedding. Perfectly fine. Of course. We've known about Casey's wedding, though, to be fair to everybody in the public for quite some time. Yes, This isn't something Casey just popped up on us last week. And I look around, I got Elliot. Poor Elliot just started last week. And thankfully... Thankfully, we got Jacob. So, you know, and we got you, Tom. We got you. Well, and that's you what the show's about strong, is you. You finish slow. But um, you know what? We're here, and we're going to do the best we can to make it work, right? We'll do the best we can. We're going to let you get a lot of this, as you're referred to, as toxic traits. Oh, yeah. It's <laughs> going to be in full force. 
We're going to let you get a lot of this off your chest, especially as it pertains to the red legs over the weekend. And we will begin there. We come your way Monday through Friday, 10A to 12P. You can find us on Chatterbox Sports YouTube page, and you can join us uh, in podcast form. Just search off the bench with Tom Brenneman and you're dialed in. Look for the Reds, and we'll hear a lot about this from Trace in a matter of minutes. This weekend was a big chance, in my opinion, on multiple fronts. A chance to get closer to the team you're chasing, the division-leading Brewers. A chance to, you know, prove to the National League that this, you know, kind of turnaround feel-good story in Cincinnati has some juice to it. And then a chance, maybe most important of all, to win back some fans where disconnect certainly has run rampant, as has apathy. But as you know, none of those things happen. Friday night, sellout crowd, Zach Brown band in town, right? Paul was down there, wasn't working. Jacob's down there, wasn't working, <laughs> right? Checking out the Zach Brown band, 5-4 loss. Brewers had their starting pitcher thrown out of the game. Reds lost. Saturday, the struggles of Graham Ashcraft just continue. It went from May and now first start in June. He was shelled. Ten runs in four innings. Said he just didn't feel right. I don't know what that means. Then yesterday, a three-run home run in the first propelled the Brewers to a 5-1 win. So tonight... It's called a wraparound series when you play on Monday to wind it up. The much-anticipated Major League debut of left-hander Andrew Abbott. He will be opposed by veteran Julio Tehran. First pitch, 7-10. Cincinnati has lost four straight and is six back in the National League Central. It's worth noting, Hunter Green was supposed to start tonight. But apparently, these last two starts have been his best two starts. But he's been pitching through a bad hip. He's not going to start again until Sunday. So here we are with a big three. Trace's big three. And you got Green, who's hurt. All right? Hopefully nothing serious. He is pitching well lately. You got Lodolo, who's out for Lord knows how long. And Ashcraft can't get anybody out. So I don't know what to tell you. Uh, Roger Craig, who won three World Series as a player, and managed the San Francisco Giants to a World Series in 1989, died yesterday at 93, pitched for three different major league teams, including the Cincinnati Reds. College baseball, Scott Guggen's out after six years at UC. This year, the Bearcats went 24 and 33. The Xavier Musketeers made a nice little run in the NCAA tournament, got two wins, and knocked out the number one seed on their home field, Vanderbilt. But then X was bounced by the number two seed, Oregon Ducks, the Muskies set a school record with 39 wins on the year. You talk about a team rolling. is FC Cincinnati, and I mean rolling. They went again on Saturday night, 1-0 over Chicago, giving the team 12 wins. That's as many as they had all of last year, and double what they had the year before. They have only lost one game this season. That was seven weeks ago. They have the most points of any team in the league by a mile. And they are unbeatable so far at home, 9-0. Now, next up on the schedule, an open cup match against Pittsburgh. That's tomorrow night at home. And then it's all the way across the globe to Vancouver, back to MLS play on Saturday night. 
on the hardwood. The Miami Heat shot 68%, scored 36 points in the fourth quarter. They rallied to beat Denver 111-108 in Denver last night. The championship series tied at one game apiece. Game three will be Wednesday night in Miami. All right. We have James Rapine coming up. The Bengals officially begin their OTAs. They've had a bunch of voluntary stuff going on. This is still technically voluntary. The mandatory minicamp is not for another week and a half. Um, but we'll get his thoughts on what's going on down there. Uh, we've talked regularly about how Zach Taylor has really bought into lightening the load compared to some other teams who, you know, they max out on a league-mandated number of times that you can practice during OTAs. In fact, the, uh, the Patriots were fined for too much practice. How do you think that sits with Bill Belichick? That's the Belichick way. And what is that? Just being better than everybody, outworking everybody in the league. Are you saying that tongue-in-cheek? No, I'm serious. Look at them. They, they're the most successful NFL franchise in the last 20 years. By far. By far. We were talking about, you know, the Bengals, and we'll talk about this with James Rapine in a minute, but, you know, they've been to back-to-back -back AFC championship games. And, and, and every time, every blue moon when I would get a Patriots game to announce, uh, and, and it would only happen when I'd fill in, Joe Buck would go to the, the, the World Series, and I'd step in there with Aikman. And it seemed like every year we would get a game in New England. And when the, the, the Patriots put out their media packet, and you, you, these were the days Brady was there, and – You'd start flipping through some of the stuff, you know, number of wins by a quarterback, winning percentage by a quarterback, record at home, record in the division, um, head coach, quarterback, duo, most wins, right? All of these things, Brady has them all. But another one I tripped across this morning, right? Bengals have been to back-to-back -back AFC championship games. The Patriots went to eight straight AFC championship games. Eight of them. It is just amazing what they did, that combination there. I was with a bunch of Boston people over the weekend. We had a, I wasn't here last Friday. A woman in our neighborhood died, 54 years old. Um, it, it, it was just so sad. It, she had had this treatment in California, um, flies back to Cincinnati. She was here for six hours. She has one son who's a student at Miami. He's already out of school. Another son who plays lacrosse at St. X, senior. The dad, had to call the, the dad had to call his son and say, look, get home from practice. This was earlier in the week. He got to come home and be with his mom for the last 15 minutes of her life. I mean, it was... Thank God that he was able to do that. But at any rate, so um, the, the husband, now a widower, um, is from Boston. And so he affectionately calls all of his friends from Massachusetts. He calls all of them mass holes. Mm -hmm. All of his buddies, right? I mean, from growing up, playing hockey and all these guys, right? I'm not calling him that. That's what he calls them. So all these guys are in town with their spouses to go to their buddy's uh, wife's funeral. And uh, it was Friday. But uh, Friday night, you know, had a chance to, to talk to some of these guys. I met a few of them, including his dad, who's a Boston guy, lives up there, and talking about Belichick. 
And I'm like, well, you know, what do they think about this guy up there now? I mean, all the championships, Super Bowls, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, but is a little of the, you know, shine off of him, Brady gone, they really haven't done much? No. Lifelong leash. You agree with that? Lifelong leash for Belichick? Yeah. Yeah, Belichick is the one that gets to show in the door. The only thing about Belichick, I would like to think that he has enough um, enough understanding around him, has enough support people to let him know if he's like Bayheim, right? You, you, you can't build up this dynasty, have this dynasty, and continue to, 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 to just sit around and know that you are being given something that you're not doing a good enough job of keeping, right? And Bayheim at Syracuse had yeah. that for what, in my opinion, was way too long. But you can't fire the guy because he built it. It's almost like Shashevsky. If Shashevsky wanted to stay at Duke until he was 90 years old and he was started losing a bunch of games, they weren't firing him because no. because he's the one that actually made them as relevant as they were. So I would like to think Belichick would be in a position at some point to realize that that if that if it ever, that, that ever turns into the case that he would be he would see himself to the door. But but he's he has. Are you a Belichick or Brady guy? Before we uh, go to James. Well, I mean, look, I'm both. I mean, I... I oh, I, the I, easy I, answer. I, no, it's not because <laughs> you, you, one of them's a coach and the other one's a player. I mean, so, I I mean, how do you not love both of them? I mean, you may not like getting your tail kicked by them all the time. And there are a lot of people out there. I mean, we've got people on this show. You know, I'm trying to remember who was it that kept calling it. Oh, oh Steve Serby from New York. Longtime columnist up there. All he did was talk about how Belichick cheat, 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 cheat. Yeah. He wouldn't let it go. You're not cheating. You're not trying. I think we need to give James a forewarning that that uh, the producers aren't in today. Who knows if any of this is going to work? And we're just going to throw him live on the air and hopefully his mic works. What do you think about that? Well, he's a busy man, James Rapine. James, it's nice to see you. Been a while. How are you, young man? Good to see you. Definitely all in on the Brady train. By the way, on who was more. Hold important. on, hold on. Does anybody hear him? What about now? Here we go. Try it again, James. I'm all in on the team Brady. If, if we're talking Brady Belichick. It's good to see you too, Tom. So, I mean, uh, you couldn't pick, right, one or the other. Trace asked me a question. One's a player, one's a coach. I mean, you can be in on both of them, right? Sure, yeah. One doesn't become one without the other. They needed both of both guys to, to win six Super Bowls. But he got Tampa Bay to a Super Bowl. And I when he went to Tampa, I didn't think that they had a chance. And I was a big Brady guy, so I, I'm, I'm in on Brady. Give me the quarterback over the, the coach. I'm with you. I'm with you on that. All right, let's start with, I think a lot of people get confused. I get confused, James, to be honest with you, uh, about what the Bengals have been doing here on quote-unquote OTAs, and now they officially start today, right? So could you please fill me in on what exactly, you know, what are they doing right now? Well... It's been glorified workouts, right? Where they're able to do some things and get out there and run around, but no helmets. We haven't seen pads, anything like that from any of the rookies. That'll change this week. You'll, you'll see some helmets. And, and so I, I think that that's sort of exciting, but it's still voluntary. And so don't expect to see every Bengal there. Obviously there's really only one guy that we're, we're wondering about, which I'm sure you might ask me about. But uh, no, it's it's pretty light. Like, I think you could have made it through the, the first couple of weeks of this offseason program. <laughs> OTAs probably probably the same way, Tom. You'd probably do it. It just it might get a little hot with the helmet on. Well, that's okay. 
I mean, if that's if that's the biggest problem you have in life, then so be it. Okay, you, I mean, you know where I'm going with this because we have been talking yeah. about this uh, ad nauseum. I'm sure you're tired of talking about it, but it's a very real topic, and that is what is going on with Jonah Williams. Yeah, I think he's training on his own. I think that's the first part of this that could get lost in the shuffle. Just because he hasn't posted a ton on social media doesn't mean he isn't working. And he knows how big of a, a deal this season is. And while he might not have been super excited, and he was disappointed, let's be honest. He was disappointed and, and angry and mad that they signed Orlando Brown Jr. But that was two months ago. It, it's time for him now to wrap his head around the right tackle spot. Obviously, his money's guaranteed, all of those things. And I think that's the case. So what I think is interesting, Tom, I'll be in there tomorrow. Will he show up a week ahead of time? Or will he just wait until manda it's mandatory next week for minicamp to show up? A lot of these guys have showed up early. Jesse Bates didn't last year. We know that. We, we know what was going on with him. But but outside of that, we, we've seen these guys show up for camp, show up uh, ahead of time in a lot of instances. Tyler Boyd, the latest example of that. It was voluntary. He was doing family stuff, but he still showed up last week, even though he didn't have to. Could Jonah Williams be the next guy? I think that's a big question going into tomorrow when it's going to be open to us media. You know, we all know that Williams was injured last year. He played through uh, the first injury. Didn't miss a snap. I mean, he kept lining up and playing, and, and, and I mean, God bless him. Uh that's a tough guy. Got hurt the second time. He couldn't do it. Okay. Um, the business side of football is, you know, the whole Orlando Brown says through his agent he wants to trade, blah, blah, mm -hmm. blah. At the end of the day, the culture down there with the Bengals is so good and so strong, top to bottom, right? I mean, the leadership is fantastic. Coaching staff, quarterback, star players, role players, whatever it might be. Do you think Williams is losing some of his goodwill with his teammates? Or do a lot of these guys just look at it, hey, that's a business side and that's the way it goes? I think we've, we saw firsthand the past two years about Jesse Bates and, and how he dealt with everything and how they did, how they realized it was a business side. And I, I was curious how a young team, Joe Burrow, T. Higgins, Jamar Chase even, would handle a, a veteran leader like Bates not getting a deal and then ultimately, and it felt inevitable by the time free agency hit that he was going to sign elsewhere. And so I think that's what this is. I've talked to some of his teammates and I know certain off, a bunch of offensive linemen have still talked to Jonah and have communicated with him. Joe Burrow has talked with Jonah and communicated with him. And I think it's, it's a gut punch when you get demoted and, and you have to move spots and that said, I think what we've seen from Jonah since he was drafted in 2019 is he is a professional. So I think he will be all in. He's going to have to earn that starting right tackle job. I certainly think he's the favorite to do so, but I, I don't think he's going to get handed the job by any means, especially with what they have kind of battling there with Jackson Carmen and Lyle Collins working his way back as well. Well, let, let's walk through a couple of those guys injury-wise. Collins, sure. uh, yeah. how's he doing? He's doing well. I talked to him a little bit last week. I think he's about as, as good as you could be at this stage, and yet it's still a major question mark. It's a lot to ask a an offensive lineman, certainly a tackle, 
to be ready for the, the start of training camp or let's just push it, the start of the regular season. And I think that would be his goal, not necessarily camp, but the start of the regular season. We'll see if he can get there, but he's he's battling for a spot here and, and for that contract because it, it's hard to see. It gets really tight when you're, you're spending money on Jonah and Lau when only one of them is going to win that, that right tackle job. So he, he's doing well, but uh, I'm not sure if he's going to be ready for the start of the regular season or not. Well, do, do you foresee or or really is it a situation where, you know, you're like, it is a situation that you're in waiting to find out if Collins can come back, waiting to find out if he would be ready. You're waiting to see what the deal is with Williams. You've got Carmen there and that whole thing. I mean, do you think when all is said and done that the Bengals are going to start the season, if all are healthy, that they would start this season with both Collins and Williams on the roster? It's so tough. It's, it's so tough to do that because you're allocating essentially $20 million to the right tackle spot. And neither guy is expected to be elite at that spot. And that's obviously top of the market right tackle money. And I get it. It's two players versus one. You could say, well, could move inside if you need him to offer depth there. Jonah's obviously a swing tackle, could play left tackle if something happened with Orlando Brown Jr. I get all of that. It's just a lot of money. And things are going to change the moment they sign a, a Burrow extension or a T. Higgins extension. And I expect them to get some of these extensions done. So could they do it? As of now, absolutely, they could fit both guys. That could change. And it's tough because the, the Jonah Williams contract is fully guaranteed. You can't cut him. And so maybe you trade him, but there's no market for him right now. And that's the part I think some this, this offseason have – uh, struggled to, to understand. It's just tough to, to trade a guy that has $12.6 million guaranteed coming off of a knee injury, coming off of the worst season of his career. It's tough, even at a premium position like offensive tackle. At the same time, is there a path to, to both being on the roster? Sure, but I'm not sure it's a realistic path unless something happens injury-wise to one of these other linemen on the team that are expected to start. All right, uh, a couple of other guys coming back from injury. Uh, Awuzie. How's he doing? Mm -hmm. He's doing great. He's man. He might be the best athlete on the team. And I know Jamar Chase exists. He's such a good athlete. And I, I've really from day one of the, of the off season, just kind of penciled him in as being back and ready for, for week one of the regular season. And I'm not sure that's fair. In fact, it probably isn't for a guy who has to plant and cut and, and run with receivers and all of these elite receivers in the NFL but I just kind of expect that from him. So we'll see, but I know he's doing great. He's been with the team for most of the offseason program, and he's running and, and doing a lot of the things that you want to see. So uh, I think they'll ease him back into camp, but hopefully he's ready to go week one. You know, the other situation, uh, James, we talked about on and on and on and on is wondering what would the future hold for Joe Mixon? Um, it seems to me like, uh, well, I mean, they had, a, they had a chance. They could have done something on June the 1st. That's not to say they still can't do something now. But by all accounts, at least from what they're presenting publicly, Zach Taylor, Duke Tobin, this guy's here, and they're going to pay him the contract. Is, is that right? Feels right. It feels like – it feels – well, right, I guess, could be debatable, but it feels correct. Like, that's what they're going to do. And – I get it to a degree, because especially now. Because if, if let's say you move on from Mixon, you're not going to get better at that position. Now, you might be just as good or, or find a different fit or find someone else that can do a lot of what Joe can do. 
but he still has value. And yeah, it was a down year last year. I just don't like the money allocated to that position when you're not getting elite play there. And maybe he blows me out of the water and, and hasn't an elite year, but he, he certainly wasn't that last year. So I, I think that's the debate more so than anything. He's still a really good player, still valuable, can still help you win games. And he's a big part of that locker room. And I, I think that's what it came down to is there was no obvious replacement this offseason. The draft didn't fall in a way where they added a, a top running back in this class. And it's not really their fault. It just didn't line up. And you're not going to trade up for a running back. And so that happened. They weren't going to spend big money in free agency. They tried to keep some AJP run. That didn't work out. And so things so far have fallen in Mixon's favor. So it would not shock me at all if he's on the roster this season with his current contract. Well, you know, the, to me um... – this is no different than uh, as far as just from a from a, a philosophy standpoint. And tell me if I'm off base here. To mm -hmm. me, this is Mike Brown saying, Carson Palmer, you had a contract. I'm expecting you to live up to the contract, right? And I'm not going to trade you. Now they ended up trading, but you know mm -hmm. where I'm going here. With Mixon, sure. they're saying, hey, look, we made a commitment to this guy. Okay, we could do a lot of other things here and save some money, but... We're going to keep the guy. Obviously, you wouldn't keep him if you didn't think he was a good player. But, but, but you know, if I were a player on another team or a player that gets drafted by the Bengals, I, I tell you, I'd be pretty impressed with ownership and their stance on that if that's what they're doing here. I think that that's the loyalty part of it. I, you know, I think of Leon Hall, them sticking with him when it was like one year, nine million left. And they just kept him in, in, in it was it was time. I think you probably remember that. It was probably time, especially at that money. They've been loyal. And we've seen them deviate from that in recent years. Trey Hopkins would certainly be a name that, that I would throw out there, someone that maybe 10 years ago they would have kept, but they decided to move on from after the 2021 season. And so, yeah, I think it's a couple of things. It Ownership is certainly part of it in their loyalty and their logic. Joe Mixon has been a big part of their franchise. At the same time, I think they're a destination. I don't know if they're rating and, and thought throughout the league, certainly from veterans across the NFL, has ever been higher in the history of the franchise. I think veterans say, hey, if I could go to Cincinnati, that would be great. Now money has to line up all of those things, but I don't know if they need to go the loyalty route now. That said, that doesn't mean they shouldn't stick to their characteristics, you know, their their philosophy if it works. If Mixon goes out there and performs this year, that's it. It doesn't matter how much it's, it, it, uh, it costs to keep him because you're trying to win now. And, yep. and I think that's the part of it now where I can see it where, all right, well, where's that money going? If you do save it, where are you going to put it? Because if you put it towards a T extension and that's the difference, well, of course you want to extend T. Higgins. But if it's just little fringe moves or things like that, well, yeah, it's probably best to keep Joe Mixon. You know, we get sentimental about players, and, and, and one guy who's been around here, uh, the last time they won two games in a season was Tyler Boyd. I, I'm not so sure a PR firm could have written any better all of the things that he said uh, when he showed up last week, just about, you know, how he feels about the team, how he feels about the, the franchise, how he feels about where they're going. He understands that this is the last year of his contract. He understands they went out and drafted, you know, guys that, you know, 
could line up to replace him. Um, it just seems like, you know, I, I don't know, and, and you tell me, uh, it, it seems like it'd be very hard to keep him around here after this year. Uh, but, you know, we all get sentimental about players, and I, and I, I think he is a guy that is deserving of, of really enjoying watching play if this turns out to be the last year of his contract because he's been a hell of a player here. He has. There, there's no doubt, and, and he has a chance to – move up the Bengals record books this season, you know, receptions wise, he, you know, he's not going to break the record or anything, but pass a TJ Hushmanzada for touchdowns, receptions. I, I was looking at some of the numbers, what you think about it, how much TJ meant. Well, Tyler Boyd's there and a lot of his career, he's been the third option or been in 2019, the first option on a team that really didn't have much. And, and so, yeah, I think what a pick he was. And I think back to 20. He was a rookie in 2016. So 2017, it was about midway through the year. And if you remember, he was a healthy scratch. And he was kind of in Marvin Lewis's doghouse for a bit. And his confidence didn't waver. I remember talking to him and he was like, man, if it doesn't work out here, I'm going to get paid elsewhere. And this is a second year player who hasn't done anything. And uh, he probably doesn't remember telling me this, but I was like, ah, oh, he's going to make it. He's going to be fine. And I kind of think that that's the approach he's taking here is he's like, look, I have a chance to win a Super Bowl. I'm making 8 million bucks, which is underpaid. He would make more if he was a free agent this past off season or in March. And let's see if I can get a ring. And if I play well, I'm going to get paid. And I think that's what a lot of these veterans, how they need to approach this season. Joe Mixon included, DJ Reader, Chidobe Ouzier. There are a lot of guys that are in contract years and a lot of them aren't going to be here next year. And Tyler Boyd might be at the top of the list. But if they attack it and they handle their business and help the Bengals win a Super Bowl, well, there's going to be multiple teams lining up to, to pay them next offseason. All right, I've asked a question. I ask a question on the show all the time, and this is subject to change depending on, you know, what we see out of guys in camp and the draft picks and all the other sort of stuff. As we sit here today, James Rapine, in your expert opinion, are the Bengals on paper a better team than the one that ended the year last year? They are. They are because I think they're deeper. I think they're deeper at, at key spots. Wide receiver is as important to the Bengals as any team in the NFL, and we saw it. They're so wide receiver reliant. One of the things Boyd said, they would have won the AFC title game had he not gotten hurt. I agree because they rely on three receivers. And late in that game, the offense got stagnant. And part of that was because they were relying on Hayden Hurst and Trent Irwin to get open in one-on-one -on -one situations. So they're expecting uh, Charlie Jones to be that fourth guy. I, they, they might not come out and say it that directly, but I will because that's why they drafted him. So we'll see if he can get to that level. But to me, that's an upgrade. You, you know, maybe a slight downgrade in the running back room. We'll see. But I like Chase Brown. I think he gives them a threat that they that Mixon doesn't give them, that Samaj P. Ryan doesn't give them, which is a home run threat out of the backfield. He can break away uh, some long runs. Irv Smith can be Hayden Hurst if he stays healthy. And then on defense, it's going to be interesting with the safety, certainly a, a downgrade there. But overall, your front seven intact. You keep Jermaine Pratt, which I don't think anyone really expected. You give your defensive line a boost as well. With a guy like Miles Murphy, they're pretty deep in the trenches there, deep at linebacker. There's just there's not many questions outside of will Chidobe Awuzie be ready to go week one? Who will start at right tackle? If Lel Collins is healthy, you feel good about it. If Jonah Williams is healthy, I would feel good about it. So I think that they have options there. So there's still some questions, but overall, I, I do think 
that they're one of the deepest teams in the league. And I haven't even mentioned all their top guys, right? Burrow on down. So, yeah, I, I think that they are better. All right. There is a man right there. James Erpine, we thank you as always for uh, your time. Have a great rest of your day and enjoy uh, being out there in the bright sunshine watching the Bengalis next couple of days. Sounds good. Will do. Thanks, Tom. Appreciate you All having right. me. James Rapine, kind enough to join us. And if you want to know anything going on with the Bengals, clearly that's the guy. I mean, he, whether it's his podcast, whether he's writing for Sports Illustrated, all the things he has happening, all Bengals all the time. Sir Boy Wonder tells me my question is tired. No. Sometimes you just you stick with you stick with a bit that you got and a I don't even know a if it, bit. I don't think it's a bit, but that's what the chat thinks it is. The chat thinks me asking the question over and over, are the Bengals better today than they were uh, when they lost the AFC championship game? What is, what is tired about that question? Well, I think that they think that, that, that it's without question the Bengals are better. That's the overall thought, I think, within the Reds, uh, not the Reds, excuse me, the Bengals fandom. And the question that, uh, that, that you're trying to ask, which is a fair one, I think. Maybe they, maybe they just think that you're just trying to poke the bear. But nobody wants to admit that this offense wasn't the reason that they actually won football games in the playoffs. This offense was not the reason. The defense was the reason they won football no games in the playoffs. No doubt about it. And I would ask the question that you've been trying to ask to everybody is, are we sure that they're better on defense? which is the reason they've been winning than That's they are exactly last year. That's exactly right. That's why I asked the question. It has well, it takes, to do with offense. I think we all agree they're better on offense, right? Sometimes it takes people that have a little more experience in life, Tom, to understand those things, but maybe the rest of the chat doesn't <laughs> understand. I, don't I know. mean, Everett's killing me, just killing me. Uh, Sir Boy Wonder, killing me. Um, and, and all of a sudden, you know, I've been a big defender um, of the player formerly known as Mouse Cop. <laughs> you are a fan. I mean, and he's even lighting me up. You're a fan. You like Mouse Cop. That was that's been one hell of a turn of events between the fact of college basketball season. I don't think that that was a big fandom between the two of you. Now all of a sudden, you're a huge fan of him, and now he's not happy with the fact that you said the Bengals might not be better. I'm not saying they're better or they're not better. I'm asking people who follow the franchise, all of you in this room, right? Casey, all the guys in the chat. I'm not ready to proclaim they are or they aren't. We're all going to find out, but I'm just curious what other people think about it. What do you think about it, Jacob? They better today. I'm not going to say the AFC championship game because they had all the offensive linemen that were hurt, so that's not fair. But, but let's just say the team that had the big, long winning streak to end the regular season. Well, I think it's far from the slam dunk. Yep. Yep. Did somebody bring up Jonathan India, or did you just bring up Jonathan? Oh, India? <laughs> we'll get to him in a minute. They're trying. <laughs> they're trying. Wait a minute. Wait. Whoa, 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 whoa. They're trying to figure out right now. I mean, if I could get on Casey for anything. First of all, he's obviously very dedicated. The fact that he's even at the beach trying to watch his show is absolutely ridiculous. I'll tell him to turn off his computer or whatever he's watching on and, and get back to living life. However, he does have these. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to name them out loud for the public to know what these microphones are actually called. You ready? We got a Tom microphone, which I'm guessing is you, which right. thankfully 
that is actually the case. I got a Casey microphone, which is here. Makes sense. Right. I got Paul, which is here. And now I got a Collins, a main cam, Reed, and Trace. I haven't been on a show in here in like six months. <laughs> Reed hasn't been in here in like six months. So I'm looking through these right now. I'm trying to figure out exactly what it is that that. Well, that, Reed that, that just said Reed's mic is the button. All right. Well, if that's the case, it is on. All right. And is people are referring in? to Jacob. I mean, right out of the gate, man. Sir Boy Wonder referring to him as Post Malone. <laughs> Let's try this again. If not, we're, we're going to have to we're gonna All have to right. You were saying out. Post Malone, Jacob Tisson. You were saying what? Well, I was saying, I just don't Here think. Here we go. I don't think it's a tired question whatsoever. There's, there's a lot of, you know, we improved the offensive line for sure. Orlando Brown's great. Moving Jonah Williams over to right tackle or whoever's the right tackle, as long as they're healthy, is going to be an improvement over Hakeem Adeniji. And no one's going to argue that. But losing both safeties, losing, you know, say what you want about Eli Apple, but we're going to have to play a rookie in a, in a, you know, a lot of snaps at corner. I have some questions about the defense, and I hope we're better. I hope these guys are plug-and-play just as good as those multi-year captains that led us to back-to-back -to -back AFC championships. But I, I just don't think it's a slam dunk. Okay, there you have it. This guy follows a team, even when he's down there running around with Nick Saban. That's a big leaguer, Nick Saban. Big Jacob leaguer. wants a job here, doesn't he? I mean, I've never seen a guy in college. I'm being serious. This is about the best, best compliment you're ever going to get out of me. I've never seen someone. Stop the bus. I've never seen someone that's so well-versed, that's still going to school, and is knowledgeable about all these things. As What was the minor leaguer that you brought up the other day? You brought up Acosta. Who did you bring up? Victor Acosta? Yeah, he brings up. <laughs> time out. Can you imagine an intern bringing up Victor Acosta like, like Jake? I don't even did? know who Victor Acosta is. We, who is it's, that? We traded Brandon Drury for – he's an 18-year-old shortstop from the Padres. We traded Brandon Drury for him at the deadline Okay, all right, okay. All right, so continue. Well, that, that's really all I had to say there. I mean <laughs> – yeah, but I, I mean, I, it, it's uh, Jacob's off to a good start. The only problem with Jacob is he's wearing that Crimson Tide stuff in here every single day. You want to talk about something tired? Well, he gets it free. So, first Super Regional in 13 years for the boys. I had to represent the A today. Yeah. <laughs> well, you boys are I, – I, Wait a minute. Is that the baseball program where the coach was gambling and he got fired? Fired <laughs> yeah. halfway through the season, and then we haven't – we've been on a tear since. Since we got a new coach, it's the hottest this team's been in about a decade. Wow. How about that? All right. Uh, so you're being referred to as Post Malone. And then there is Elliot, who has now been nicknamed officially in the chat, Austin Powers. I like it. It's groovy, baby. It's gro yeah, it's groovy, baby. I love it. I'm a big Austin. You big Austin Powers guy? Love it. Yeah, love so it. am I. Yeah. So your thoughts about the Bengals? Yeah, I think, I, I think they're better. I still think they're better. I think they're going to get back to the AFC Championship game again. I, and again, I, 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 you're, you're, look, you're going up against the Bills, who I don't think are better, and the Chiefs, who have an aging tight end. Obviously, Travis is still great, but it, it's a Chiefs team that I think is still losing pieces. They lost a giant piece to us. So it, is, if we're, it's, I, I don't even know if it's about us being better, which obviously it is still, but you're still just out. You're still trying to outwork the other teams in the AFC, which I believe they have up until this point. I think Excalibur Iron Force brings up a good point. He says, "Look, it isn't so much whether the team is better or worse. 
but that the division has gotten considerably better. Everybody agree with that? That's fair. For sure. Yeah, that's what I think that's what Elliot was just saying in regards to the other teams, but that's the one thing that I keep harping back to, which is this league is let's let's if we're being completely honest, this league is very, very small in regards to how much of a difference there is between yep. the top teams and the bottom teams. Yep. I mean, yes, there's there's a significant difference between maybe the Chiefs and the Bengals and the the you know, the Texans. But the difference between the you've brought this up between the Browns and the Bengals isn't sizable. It's not like it's massive no. difference. And I would think that you could at least admit that the Ravens are a really good football team. And the fact that they have their guy now who you could argue whether he's going to stay healthy or not, that's 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 a fair argument. But if he is healthy, I mean, I'm not saying it's a coin flip between the Bengals and the Ravens to win this division, but it's a lot closer than what a lot of Cincinnati fans, at least that I'm aware around all the time, want to admit to. Well, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong here. Um, Lamar Jackson played against the Bengals the first time they played. They played three times last year, right? He played the first game. That was a game that, you know, Zach Taylor pitched the ball to some dude named Moss on fourth down. He hadn't touched the ball all year long on fourth and goal. Shit, let's give it to some dude that hadn't touched the ball all year long. I mean, yeah, yeah, why not? I mean, forget Chase, forget Higgins, forget Nixon, forget Hurst. I mean, yeah, let's give it to this dude. Fourth and goal. Um, but anyway, Jackson started that game and Baltimore won. They come here for the regular season finale. Right, a lot on the line, right? especially after all that coin flip nonsense and all that kind of thing. Uh, and, and they're playing with a backup quarterback. It was ugly. Bengals were ugly, but the Bengals beat them pretty handily. The, the, the Bengals were a miracle play away, and that's what the Hubbard return was on the fumble at the one-yard line. They're a miracle play away from getting beat in that first round with no Lamar Jackson. Third-string guys in there, right? The third-string guy played the regular season. Huntley was back in there. For the last game. So, look, uh, I think a coin flip is, is the perfect description of that. It's no slam dunk the Bengals are going to beat the Ravens two times this year. Right? If Lamar Jackson's in there. No, I don't think it's a... Uh, but but uh, the, the, fair, the fair point back, if you're a Bengals fan, is that they did win. And they do have Joe Burrow. And Joe Burrow's probably only going to get better. And in Joe Burrow, if you had to ask it, ever brings up in the chat, would you rather have Joe Burrow or Lamar Jackson? And every single person that probably has a relative decent head on their shoulders when it comes to the game of football is going to pick Joe Burrow. Yep. And that is a very fair point. I think the only caveat to all of this is, is that I don't think it's fair to make, to make a judgment on what this defense is going to look like until a few weeks into the season. Because... Otherwise, it's just speculating, and that's obviously what we do on a sports talk show in the middle of the summer. But, but this defense, in my opinion, has to be – I don't know how big the drop-off is, but there's a drop. Now, you know, we always gave Lou as much credit in the world as at least the fan base did, as much credit in the world. And, Tom, correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure Lou said that if those safeties walked out the door, it would be a dark day in his that words. That was his quote. His my darkest day. Yeah. So if, if that's the case, then are we going to take him at face value? Are we going to take him for his word? Or are we just going to assume that ah, we'll, we'll, we'll get by that as well? That's well, We won't know until they play, as you said. But 
<laughs> people are going to crush me for saying this, but I think that the Ravens are one thing. I think the Browns are another thing. The Browns are the biggest wild card, I think, in the entire AFC. Because the Browns have I'm a guy at quarterback. You the, guy, the Browns have a guy at quarterback that if he plays the way that he's capable of playing, you can say whatever you want about his incidents off the field. You can do whatever you want about all that. Yep. But the Browns are a damn good team if he's playing well. And you can laugh at me all you want. And I know I'm the guy that had $300 uh, Super Bowl ticket that went to shreds last year. But you know what? <laughs> so be it. Over the weekend, the Gotta Browns became it. the favorite for DeAndre Hopkins as well. That's another thing to look at. Browns and Ravens, right in the heat of that DeAndre Hopkins mix. Either team gets that. It's scary. It is. It's a good division, man. I mean, you know, and the Steelers, uh, look, people can say whatever they want about Kenny Pickett. I mean, you have to say the guy did okay as a rookie last year. He wasn't great, but he wasn't terrible. And they think they have something good there. They still got some players on defense. Um, so, you know, uh, and that's a big deal when you're playing, when your division is better, and that's six of your 17 games. That's a big deal. Because one thing you know about the AFC North, whether you like them or hate them, it doesn't matter. The Browns are going to hit you, the Ravens are going to hit you, and the Steelers are always going to hit you. You might win the game, but you're going to take some hits now because they will show up to play. Now, some might say, well, what do you mean the Browns? I'm with Trace on this. Toxic Trace <laughs> on this one. Have you had that name uh, in the chat for a while, Toxic Trace? Do they say that on your show after Reds games? Yeah, and I, I take it with a badge of honor because I think that sometimes we can sit up here and be shticks and we can sit here and act like little uh, choir boys and say everything's great all the time. But the truth is, is, I don't think that that's the case. So I'll call it out when I see it. I'm not always trying to be pessimistic, obviously. I, I think that the Bengals are very good. I'll say that again. I think that they are one of the teams that you would say if, out, of, out of a handful of teams that can win the Super Bowl. But I also wouldn't be shocked to say that the Browns won the division or the Ravens won the division and, and you know, the Bengals are, are playing in a wild card game in the first weekend of the playoffs. Like, that wouldn't shock me at all. And that's more or less a testament to the NFL than it is against the Cincinnati Bengals. It's not, it's not really saying the Bengals are going to be, you know, a disappointment. It's just watching the NFL for so long, you, you, you know what the Patriots have done? We talked about the Patriots earlier in the show. They've tricked all of these fan bases and people into thinking that that is possibly the norm or that's something that should happen mm -hmm. or could happen for their franchise. Mm -hmm. The truth is, is that is might, that might be something, well, not even might, that is probably something we will never see ever again for the rest of our lives. And they'll probably be, our grandkids' grandkids will probably be looking through their little, I don't even know if they'll have books anymore, but they'll be at, they'll be at elementary school and they're going to get some children's book that's going to talk about the Patriots dynasty if you're into sports. That's how meaningful that whole run was. The idea that the Bengals are in that same spot where they're going to be back to AFC Championship games automatically and they're going to win the division no matter what yep. is, call it toxic, call it whatever you want. I just don't think it's realistic, especially when you have teams around this division that are as good as they are. It's it's when you have to play these teams twice, Tom, it's hard to get, in my opinion, 
home playoff games. And the Bengals were damn close, and they should have had it last year. But if you want to go back through that schedule, too, you could have it both ways. Because people in the chat are going to argue, oh, we should have beaten the Pittsburgh Steelers if our long snapper didn't get hurt. But then I would argue, well, the Saints had you dead to rights. Tampa Bay had you down a lot of points going into the second half. And they, they you know, without cussing on the show, they, they, they let it go. Yep. Um, there's a lot of games that you could argue the Bengals probably shouldn't have won. But that's not what happens. They play the games. Yep. But I, I, this isn't. This team isn't one in which I would say automatically pencil them in. They're going to win the division, and they're going to be fighting for an AFC championship. I don't think that's the case. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I was flipping through just some of those stats this morning and uh, about, you know, number of consecutive trips to uh, a championship game, both in the AFC and the NFC. We talked about the Patriots, eight in the AFC. Nobody's going to touch that. Not even Kansas City. It's not going to happen. More than likely not going to happen. But, I mean, but the all-time record in the NFC is four. Four in a row. The Bengals are trying to embark on a third straight. I mean, and we're talking about teams like the Cowboys with Roger Staubach and teams like the Cowboys with Troy Aikman and Emmett Smith and Michael Irvin and two or three linemen. All of those guys are in the Hall of Fame. And the most championship games consecutively that bunch went to was four. They even had a coaching change during that whole thing, you may remember, when Jimmy Johnson leaves and Barry Switzer comes in. But, I mean, they had players all over the place. And maybe one day we're talking about Joe Burrow like we did with Troy Aikman or, you know, uh, Jamar Chase or T. Higgins like we do with Michael Urban. Uh, you know, and, and maybe the, the Bengals end up having a couple of linemen to go to the Hall of Fame. I have no idea. But, I mean, you're talking about some of the biggest names, the biggest stars, the biggest franchises in the history of the NFL. And in the NFC, four in a row is the all-time record. Here the Bengals are going for a third straight trip. All right, we're going to take a timeout. We, we got a lot to get to with the Reds because I got to tell you, um, I don't know what to think of this team. I, I, I really don't. And, and look, when you start with zero expectations – and let's face it, we all started with zero expectations, okay? They lose over 100 for only the second time in franchise history last year. So nobody was you know, delusional enough to believe that this team was going to contend for a division championship, wildcard playoffs, blah, blah, blah. But then all of a sudden, they, you know, they keep doing this stuff where, you know, they'll look terrible. Then they go to Chicago and Boston. The Cubs are awful. Uh, I don't think Boston's any good either. But they go 5-1 and one on that trip. And now here they come back to Cincinnati. You happen to have the Zach Brown band on Friday night, right? 43,000-plus down there. And we mentioned it during the monologue. Um, an important weekend on multiple fronts, in my humble opinion, for this franchise. And I think in so many areas, they just laid an egg. Starting with their starting lineup Friday night. You know what I'm talking about. Trace was beside himself. Toxic Trace. <laughs> so we'll open up that can of Toxic Trace. Ham and Eggers, Mr. President, take it away. 
It's that time of the show, the Ham and Eggers. These guys are great, trust me, I would know. I introduce all the best segments. All right. Well, this is the time of the show where we have to pay the bills because we have to pay our full-time employees. Do you know you know what that do you know what that means? I think it's time for some reads. Is that is that is that true? It is true. And okay. what that I, means, Elliot, is when you're a full-time employee, when you, when you yeah. uh, when you when you work here, you get a check that comes into the, your electronic banking system. Okay. And yeah. when that comes in there, yes. The only real reason that comes in there is because you provide enough value to the company to make it worth you getting that. Yes. And really, the only reason that you get that is because of ads. Mm. So we need to do an ad report. Okay. They call it the Bengals report. Yeah. Let's see how well you do. Okay, so this is a test. Okay, so now I tried this the last time, but I think my mic was having issues. So I'm going to see how good I can do here. The Bengals report is brought to you by Encore Technologies. Encore Technologies provides IT solutions for a data-centered world with a suite of services from mobile computing to desktop to data center, supporting both centralized and work-from-home computing models to improve efficiency and productivity. Visit Encore.tech. The path to innovation begins here. Was that good? Very nice. I don't know. Your face scares me. I think that was bad. Very on, nice. On a scale of 1 to 10. 8.5. Okay. 8.5. All right. I That's like pretty good. Okay. I mean, you're doing it as if you're uh, new here. Yeah. And you're nervous. <laughs> I am. And you're, and you're reading it as, 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 as eloquently as you can. Yeah. Uh, which I appreciate. Uh, you know, most of the time, all I really do appreciate is, is just hard work. Someone that cares enough to work hard. Yeah, that's I just, all. Yeah, I just try to read accurately. Sometimes I don't. You know what helps people read better? You know, yeah. When they have a clear throat. I've been coughing this whole show. I've been trying to. I don't know. You're what... so self-conscious right now because I, I didn't even mean it by that. <laughs> well, I just meant that you could get a drink of water. And if you were to get a drink of water, what kind of water do you get? Well, that would be that would be Pawnee Water Trace. How about that? And by the way, so so a little inside baseball. We have a, a giant glare over there. And I'm trying to I'm trying to fight I'm trying to fight this glare. I've never fought harder in my entire life than fighting this glare up there. There is a new premium alkaline water out, Pawnee. And I have to tell you, this stuff tastes great. Made in Hamilton, Ohio, Pawnee uses natural limestone filtration, unlike the artificial processing that many other brands use. The result is a healthy alkaline water that is also the best tasting water in the world. Visit <laughs> visit their website at pawneewater.com. That's P-A-H. N-I-Water.com. Did I spell that right? P-A-H-H. Two H's there. N-I-Water.com. To see where you can buy this great tasting water. Right. Now, do me one quick favor. Okay. Clear your your bottom graphics there. You can see Pawnee Water in the bottom left-hand corner of your screen. Big shout out to Pawnee. Thank you to them. They are a small company, very much like ours. This isn't like a big national company, you know, where you... You got millions of dollars to, to spend, and, and you can just throw it wherever you want. Pawnee trusted us, believed in us enough to be able to spread the message about their water. And they're getting it into more and more places. I actually seen it in the um, little market over here in Hamilton. I know they're from Hamilton, so it's probably a little bit, a little more convenient. Hopefully, we can get them into some more stores. Because the one thing that's funny about us and our ads is that our fans, um, Nutcutter Nation, as we like to refer them to the to them as, yep. they they want to to taste this Pawnee water all the time. If we have Pawnee water in the office or there's somebody that's around that are like, hey, I love your show, is like, 
they bring up Pawnee Water probably at way higher of a clip than any other brand when it comes to shows. So, you know, I don't know what that means for us or what that means for Pawnee, but hopefully it means something good. Tom? I want to get into um, – we, everybody knows you're a big Kevin Newman guy. Now, the Reds come back home on Friday night. I mentioned on Thursday they were playing a night game in Boston. They had won the first two games of that series after winning three in Chicago. So they were 5-0 and going into the last game of that series against the Red Sox. Um, they lose a game. Okay. But it was a night game rather than a getaway day game, which you would, you know, you, you would want Boston to do you that favor, but they're not in the habit of, of doing road teams any favors. So they play a night game, which meant the team was going to get back two, three o'clock in the morning, probably not put their heads on their pillow until, uh, you know, four o'clock in the morning, something like that. But that's the same for everybody on the team. Okay, whether you played in the game Thursday night or not, everybody, manager, coaches, training staff, all the players, everybody got in at the same time. So the starting lineup on Friday, I think all of us would agree without question this year, the Reds' best offensive player this season has been Spencer Steer. Agreed? Yeah, the only other argument people would make is is maybe India, but but to your point and what you're trying to emphasize, yes, Spencer Steer has been nails, one of the best offensive threats the Reds have had all year. What was he doing on Friday night, Tom? He was watching. <laughs> hmm, interesting. He had as much of a role in that game as I did. Actually, he had a slightly more uh, an important role because I didn't even watch it. Um. I mean, how can anybody justify the guy not being in the line? Seriously, okay? I mean, you want to give him Saturday off? Maybe you want to give him Sunday off because you've just played, you know, all these games in a row, night game, night game, now day game on. Okay. But here you are playing in front of a sellout crowd, and I don't care if it's because of a band playing after the game. You're playing in front of a sellout crowd coming off a great road trip. It's the first sellout you've had since opening day. You're having a pretty good little run at it here. And now the division leaders are coming into town. I'm not one to sit here and pick apart managers' decisions on who starts and who doesn't because I don't know if something was going on with Steer Maybe he fouled a ball off his foot in Boston on Thursday night. I don't know. So, you know, there's got to be a little rope there. But he played the next day, and he played yesterday, and I'd venture to say he's going to be in a lineup tonight. Final game of the Brewers series. Try not to embarrass yourself and get swept at home by Milwaukee who was a very average team before they came to town. Let's be honest about it. Everybody is average or below average in that National League Central. Now, the Brewers, I think, have the best talent. They have the best rotation, in theory. They've not pitched that way or played that way so far. We'll see how it plays out. But how in the world is Steer not in the lineup? 
Well, he he's he plays such a taxing position, Tom. You know, it's one of those things Here's where toxic traits. Here you, we go. Here you, we go. When you cynicism, play, <laughs> sarcasm. Here we go. When you play first base, Tom, you you know as well as anybody that's been around the game for as long as you have that it, it's very difficult. It's one of those most demanding positions on the face of the earth. You put it right up there with offensive linemen. You put it right up there with probably you know I've never done alpine skiing, but maybe if you do that on a daily basis, it could be just as dangerous as that. And most importantly, I would beg the question or ask the question. He's a rookie. Yep. You'd like to think he's healthy. You'd like to think that he's, you know, limber. This isn't like a 40-year-old man we're trying to preserve here. Uh, would Yadier Molina, who plays the most demanding position. Great question. The most demanding position that there is in baseball as a catcher. Would Yadier Molina be sitting on the bench in any capacity when they come home from a homestand in St. Louis and they're facing the number one team in the division for a chance to possibly take two, three of four and or sweep them to be in the lead of said division. Does Yachty or Molina, Tom, is he get the night off? Not a chance. Interesting. That dude caught more innings over two years, five years, eight years, 10 years, 12 years, caught more innings than any player at his position in the history of baseball. There is zero chance they're coming back to a home sellout game in St. Louis. Zero chance. And Yadier Molina, even if he caught the game the night before, chances are what they would have done, they being the Cardinals, whether it was La Russa there, Matheny there, whoever there. They would have sat Molina the third game of the Boston series, and he'd have been for damn sure in the lineup against a division leader at home in front of a sellout crowd. I understand where the Reds are at in the front office's thought in the, in the belief system that they have right now. It is, it's not our time in a way. We're just trying to find out what we have. We want to get the pieces in the right spots to make sure that when it's time to go, it's time to go, and we're going to go for it as much as we possibly ever can. However, it's, it's, like, when does the mindset change is my thought, Tom. Like, and again, I'm not trying to go over the deep end and say, oh, it's all David Bell's fault or it's the front office's fault. I'm not saying you rush Ellie De La Cruz up just because it's a sellout crowd and you do whatever the fans want. We all know that's blasphemy. That's nonsense. However, there has to be a mindset shift at some point that, that, that the main priority in this franchise is to win the game. And that is, right now, in my opinion, not clearly the main priority. And when it's you're, you're three games out of said first place, yep. and you have the first place team coming to town, I think, and maybe I'm wrong, but I think you owe it to your fans just a little bit, a little bit, to try to run your best lineup out there for the next four games. If you think that Spencer Steer's a little bit tired, I, I, one, there's no way in hell Spencer Steer is tired, okay? Like, Cal Ripken played a billion games in a row, and I know I'm using Cal Ripken as an example, which is probably a bad thing to do. But I see Nick in the chat. He's trying to bring up, oh, you don't want to run these rookies in the ground. Run them in the ground for what, man? Playing first base is not difficult, Tom. It's not demanding. You, you stand there. They hit you a ground ball. Great. If you don't, you go cover first base. You catch the ball. You move on. Like, is there, is there a less taxing position on the diamond than first base? Maybe no. left field? Maybe. 
But left field, you got to cover some ground. You got to run, sprint. Right. First base, you're taking three or four steps one way, or three or four steps another way. You're, you're, it's the I would. They I would move argue. guys to first base for a reason, oftentimes. Yeah. Not the case with Steer, but there's a reason why you see guys later in their career move to first base, right? Correct. So the concept of him sitting is 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 wild to me. And and the other thing too is is. Is it frustrating as a fan to see what's happened? You have all this momentum going into this series, and then it, it just all of the wind goes without your sails. Like you're, it's completely gone. They just deflated the. You know what they remind me of? We had this big old, uh, what what's the right term? Um, beach ball. We had this big old beach ball. Oh, there we were, were a lot of them coming from a stand the yeah, night too. We were excited that we had this beach ball, Tom. We were like, wow, the Reds have five of six on the road. They're coming back home. They're playing the first place Brewers. We got a sold-out crowd on Friday night. And they're like, hey, watch this lineup. <laughs> <laughs> Just like those Bat Boys do down the line. It was It's disgusting. The fact that Kevin Newman's hitting leadoff for this baseball team, and we have Ellie De La Cruz sitting down at AAA breaking every stat cast record there is in the entire world. And we want to make up some excuse right now as to why he's not ready to be on the major league team because of what reason? I, I genuinely think that there's something behind the scenes that obviously must be a reason as to why they're doing it that they obviously can't tell the public. But I know one thing. If Nick Crawl was sitting in that seat and the ownership was sitting in that seat right now and it was just an open conversation, I would put their brains in pretzels really quickly. Really quickly. And it's at some point, Tom. Do you think that they that that a franchise owes the fans anything? Like you know, I, I certainly do. I think they always owe the fans something because the fans are spending their money and making decisions on whatever amount of disposable income they have, whether it's for one game or whether it's for a season ticket. Absolutely. Now, do I think that you make every decision based on the fans? No, you can't operate that way because you know fans, right? Short for fanatic, you know, your emotions do a lot of this and you can't manage something based on a lot of this. We know that. But look, I mean, you know, I respect Nick as much as anybody. Um, You know, he knows this organization up one side, down the other. But I respectfully could not disagree with him more on this thing about Steer. David Bell could have given Steer off Thursday night in Boston. Him playing Friday night at home, not playing Friday night at home. Uh, I don't care if they're in a stretch and they've played 21 days in a row. Put it this way. You asked the question, would Yadier Molina sit down? I would. I think the better question is, would Tony La Russa sit Yadier Molina down? Would their current manager, Mar Mole, would he sit Yadier Molina down? Sellout crowd, three games out of first, divisional opponent, sellout crowd at home. Especially Yadier Molina, the rookie Yadier Molina. Right? Not Yadier Molina, the 38-year-old who's still logging thousands of innings. I mean, there, there, there is no reason whatsoever. None. None. Unless the guy's hurt. There is no reason whatsoever that Spencer Steer is not in the lineup. I don't care who's on the mound. Corbin Burns has great stuff. He was a Cy Young Award winner. 
But he has not pitched like a Cy Young Award winner this year. He's got to be in the lineup. Then we get to ask, well, you know what? I want to ask you two younger guys, because Trace is a young guy too, but I want to ask you two younger guys. You're both Cincinnati guys. You grew up here. You're fans of the Reds. But you haven't seen a lot of winning baseball in your youth coming out of Great American Ballpark, right? Correct. That's correct. What do you guys think when you say, Elliot, I'll start with you and then get to Jacob. What do you guys think? When you don't see Steer in the line, bother you? You kind of feel like, hey, just giving the dude a day off, he needs some rest, what? Yeah, I, I think, and you made a good point, why didn't he sit out Thursday, right? I, I, and that was a series we had already won. That was a, you know, that was, I'm not going to say it's a meaningless game because every game matters when you're not the best team in the league. Um, Nick Kirby did bring up that a left-hander was throwing. He was. That, was, thir- that Thursday was Chris Sale in Boston, Thursday night. Chris Sale, and that's why Steer would have played. Yeah. But, but, I mean, let's, I don't know. I'll let you finish your point. But, I mean, since when could guys not play 15 days in a row? But that's beside the point. No, I think that's – yeah, I, I think it's absolutely an issue. I think – I'm not a big fan of David Bell. But to David Bell's credit, I think he has been given not a whole lot of help up until this point. Would I, would I have started Steer? Yeah, but I think Steer has started a majority of the games up until that point. I think he started 56 games, I believe. Is that right? And we've played, what, 58, 59? Uh, Again, like Trey said, we got guys playing 3,000 games in a row like Cal Ripken. And Spencer Steer, who is a 20-something, can absolutely do it, especially if if the point is trying to see what what you're going to get with Spencer Steer in a a year, two years down the road. A guy guy who won Rookie of the Month. Yep. So do I have an issue with it? Yes, but I kind of get it. I kind of understand taking a breather every now now and again. But again, Trey said it. First base. We got at prime athletes like Prince Fielder, a guy who weighed 475 pounds. You know, I, 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 he played, I want to say, 150 games a year. So I don't know why Spencer Steer can't, respectfully. And I say that with all due respect to my guy, Prince Fielder. Yeah, I love Prince Fielder. Well, you and Trace touched on it there for a second about whether the organization, organization owes anything to the fans. Going into the Friday game, sellout, biggest crowd in GABP history, everyone's clamming around for Ellie to come up. We think, you know, Ellie's going to be in the lineup. It's perfect for the debut. City connects, packed crowd, concert, all that stuff. Then you throw out a lineup with, without even Spencer Steer, one of the three, may, maybe three exciting people on the team. I don't know. I, I understand you know, Nick Kirby's point that it was Corbin Burns. He's probably the best right-handed pitcher you're going to face this stretch. You have to give him a day off at some point, probably. But it doesn't have to be Friday. Give it to him. Give him Saturday off, yep. even. Friday night, I, I, can't, I can't find a reason why you don't put your absolute best players out there on Friday night. And, and then we get to um, Tyler Stevenson. Um, you know, just when you thought, remember the game last week, whatever it was, you walked three times in a game, and we thought here on the program, hey, you know what, he might, for the first time, start to see the ball a little bit better, continue to walk a few more times, got a few more base hits. This is where I talk about all the time. The stars have to play like stars if you're going to win in anything. And at least on paper, Tyler Stevenson is supposed to be a star on this team. He and India, and, you know, how much you want to buy into that, are are two of the guys 
that are at least on the major league roster right now. And I think Steer has certainly put himself into that mix. McLean, without a doubt, is in that mix. But when the year began, Stevenson and India were the two guys you're looking at and you're saying, okay, well, you know, we, we know the big three. We're building around them. We'll get to them in a minute. And then, you know, India and Stevenson, they've shown us in a little bit of time here what they're capable of doing. Stevenson has one hit the entire weekend. Now, India knocked in five. India showed up. India showed up. Stevenson, I don't know what's going on with this guy. Trace, you're a baseball guy. I mean, is, is he showing you over 200 at-bats so far this year? He has two home runs, barely more than a handful or two of extra base hits, period. Not driving the ball. He's not hitting for an average. You know, we've seen Votto from time to time say, okay, I'm just going to put the ball in play. I'm not going to worry about hitting home runs. And his average takes off. Then other years, he's, he's thinking about hitting home runs. His average might drop. Power numbers go up. Well, Stevenson is not driving the ball, and he's not hitting the ball. Yeah, Tom, it's it's a little concerning because the, the, the truth is, is that I don't know if Tom, I don't know if Stevenson really has power to begin with, and I think the Reds maybe had made an emphasis or at least mentioned it to him that that they would like to see a little more production from a power standpoint. And it almost feels like he's changed his approach, and it's gotten in his head now to where it spiraled out of control. And now you're not getting either of the things that he was good at. One, you don't have power, which he's never had, and then second of all, now you don't have the gap to gap power because he's been in his head and baseball is one of those sports Tom it's one of the few sports that I've always said where it's it's, it's similar to maybe golf in a way it's it's one of the it's one of the deals where you can't just roll out of bed and know for sure that you're going to get somebody's best because yep. if you play basketball yeah you can go on a little streak Steph Curry might have one bad game where he's off but most of the time when you when you show up to the gym and as a basketball player you're going to put forth what who you are yep Football, same thing. You're going to get who you are most of the time. Baseball is one of the few sports, if, if of all sports, and golf, like I said, is maybe exceptional, where mentally it can really wreck you. You can get yourself into a spiral. You start to lose confidence. Next thing you know, you're just never the same player or you're not the same player for long stretches of time, two, three, four months. Stevenson clearly is not the guy that he has been for this franchise since he came up this year. I don't know, and I've said this time and time on the Red Show. I don't know when in baseball circles, and there's this group, and I've been a part of it. There's this group think mentality. It's very cult-esque when you're in baseball circles. Yep. This is the way you do it. Yep. This is the way it's always been done. And this is, the, this is the MO. It's not just unwritten rules of baseball that you see on the field. It's things that are behind the scenes. It's the whole entire structure of it. No doubt about right? it. And the problem with that type of thinking is that you get everyone else morphed into that. And my main thing that I hate is that this concept that AAA and Major League Baseball are two vastly different things to where you can't send Stevenson down to AAA for two or three weeks just to maybe reset, get shocked to the system, and then you bring him back. Because now it's gotten to where, well, if we bring Ellie up, we don't ever want to have to send him back down. If we bring Steve, if we send Stevenson down to, to AAA, 
oh my God, he might, you know, it might yep. do something to him that we can never bring him back. Yep. It's like, why the hell does it got to be that way? Why can't you just say, you know what, if you're struggling and you can't help us at the Major League Club right now, no big deal. We can send you down to Louisville. You figure it out down there because the games don't mean nothing. Meanwhile, we got a guy that's hitting 119 mile an hour doubles every other day uh, and, and, and hitting grand slams. <laughs> right. We got CES down there. It's got like 35 home runs in 12 games. These are all made up numbers, by the way. And and you don't want to bring them up because you're concerned that maybe, just maybe, they're not 100% ready. And if they come up, they might struggle and you have to send them back down. They did the same thing to, they said the same thing to McLean. McLean was one of the best players in AAA, not AAA, well, definitely AAA, but in spring training. CES was their best hitter in spring training. CES did get hurt. But the point is, is that McLean comes up, Tom, and you can say whatever you want. Oh, they brought him up at the perfect time. Oh, maybe. No, McLean was a Major League Baseball player that you had playing in AAA for the last month and a half, and you brought him up, and he just so happens to be the best shortstop on the team and the best hitter on this team right now. So, I don't know. Maybe, just maybe, we can make this whole AAA and Major League Baseball thing not that big of a deal. Send Stevenson down. Let him get some, get some work. Your career's not over you can come back because right now he's not helping this team. But well, David I mean, Bell yeah, runs him out every day. I think you bring up a great point because, you know, here we are living, and, and, and understandably so. I'm not mimicking this when I say, I mean, I kid around a lot about, you know, you pat somebody on the team. Look, people, you just said it. We are living in a society now where it's okay to take a mental timeout. It's okay. Or give people a mental week or two break right? There's nothing wrong with that. If that's what people really, really need. But then, but, but when it comes to baseball, because of the things you just said, you know, there's so much of that, oh gosh, if we send him back down, it might be the best thing that could happen to Tyler Stevenson. Because when you're playing at this level, unlike at AAA, when you're playing at this level, Everything is magnified. And especially when you're a guy that was expectations were high, counted on to do A, B, C, and D, and you're not doing any of them. I mean, there are whispers down there, and the record guys in the chat pointed out. I mean, the, the, the team's ERA, the team's record, better when Casali or Maui are behind a plate. Now, is that on Stevenson? No. I just think that, you know, he happens to be the guy one day that's behind a plate and every time Ashcraft pitches and every time he walks out there for the last month. <laughs> I mean, what catcher wants to get hung with that ERA? <laughs> well, I think that goes back to another point. Graham Ashcraft, I, back to the, you know, bring up Ellie. This franchise has one thing going for him, and it's not their long history of winning because they're the only team since the, they're the only major league franchise since the year 2000 to not advance in the postseason. They're the only one. They're the only one. And you take a look at Graham Ashcraft, I think the Reds are afraid their one thing going is these prospects. You bring up Ellie, and let's say he goes on a Chris Davis. You remember Chris Davis from the Orioles? Yep. He had 56 straight games or whatever, 56 straight at-bats without a hit. If he has something like that, and then this fan base says, oh, we don't have Ellie now, then what do we have? And then you go down the line. Is it a fear of that? Because Graham Ashcraft has given up 38 runs in six games. His last six starts, 38 runs. That has to be a record. I, I mean, that's, that's, one of the, that's one of the most preposterous stats I've ever read in my entire life. That's horrendous. 
38 runs in six and, games. And you're not talking about any of those starts where he lasted more than four or five innings. No, I, I mean, that, that, those are run rules in beer league softball. I mean, we're talking historic numbers. He's one, he's one more bad start away from having to send him down. You bring up Ellie, you bring up Strand, they struggle. Then what does this franchise have? It's not a history of winning. What do you back it up on? I think it's, I think it's a fear. I don't, know, I don't know if it's right because you have to bring him up, obviously, because Trey said it. These guys are major league ready right now. They're playing in AAA. It's not like they're playing in, I don't know, whatever the Cincinnati Steam League they play in. It's hey, not no like, disrespect to no dis- Okay, sorry. No disrespect to the I say that with all the, all the love in my heart. Uh, but right now, you, you, you have to make a decision. Graham Ashcraft, send him down. Like Trey said, get him some work. Get Stevenson some work. We have three catchers on this roster. One of them can't hit anything. The other is an okay defender. Stevenson hasn't been doing anything right. I don't know. I, Graham Ashcraft, send him down. Let him get some work. We have also seven starting pitchers. Half of them each more mediocre than the, than the next. So we'll see. We'll, well see. The, I don't know. The, the irony is, is before uh, Hunter Green had these back-to-back starts, uh, where he's pitched very, very well. There's no doubt about it. I mean, you saw signs of what this guy is capable of becoming. Um, but, you know, Lodolo's been out seemingly forever. No telling when he's coming. We said this at the very start, and I have said all along, I'm not accusing anybody of lying. I'm accusing everybody of not being completely truthful when it comes to injuries, especially baseball. The second that whole Adolo thing started and it's calf and, you know, a couple weeks, I always say, well, I hope that's right. Well, now it turns out, you know, you're talking about a fracture of some kind in his shin. Okay, now it's, it, it's going to be a lot longer. I'm hoping that we're getting the, 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 the deal on this Hunter Green thing, right? I mean, he was supposed to start tonight, and now he's not starting until Sunday? Sunday? But back to your point, you know, outside of Greeny's last couple of starts where he's been great, Ben Lively and Luke Weaver have been the two best starters in this rotation. The dream weaver, yeah. Right? I mean, Lively, over a decade ago, was one of these Hunter Green, Nick Lodolo types in the Reds organization. Number one pitching prospect. And they ship him off to Philly in the Marlin Bird thing. He's been through all kinds of injuries ever since then, you know. And now he's back. I mean, what he did yesterday. Now, that is the guy that, I mean, at least you're like, thank God. He gave up a three-run home run in the first inning. He goes six more innings and only gives up two runs. So, at least he's competing. Same thing with Weaver. By and large, Weaver competes. And the Williamson kid has not been bad either. But you bring up a great point about, you know, what are you going to hang your hat on? Um, how many people you think you got? You got Milwaukee tonight, and then you got the Dodgers rolling in starting tomorrow night, right? You got night game Tuesday, night game Wednesday, Clayton Kershaw on the hill for the Dodgers on Thursday, day game. I mean – you're a baseball fan. You're going to go down there and watch the Dodgers? Or are, are you saying, you know what, I, I, I can't spend money to go down there and watch the Reds? Oh, I'll, I'll go. I'll go on Tuesday. Um, you know, I only get so many 
only being up here yeah. in the summer. I try to take as many as I can. It, you know, it, it's hard being a Reds fan and talking yourself into going to the games now. There's a six-game stretch there where we were on the road where I couldn't wait for them to get home for four yep. days. Oh, boy, I was excited for this Brewers series. And now I'm second-guessing getting tickets on Tuesday. But, you know, I probably will still get down there. What about you guys? There's a five-minute segment at Great American Ballpark when you go to the game where it's down on the farm. And it's like you, you, you pay to see the team right now. You're paying to see that. I, I, I'm excited for the prospects too, but the product on the field is not good. It's just not great. I think there's a lot of guys to come up and see, and I want to get to that point. But I'm still – and I used to be a guy that went to 20 home games a year. I traveled to see Wade Miley's no-hitter in Cleveland. I mean, I, I don't have that passion right now. I don't have that heart. I just I, – it's just it, – like Trey said it earlier, I don't think they're trying to win right now. I think they're trying to stick to a plan, and credit to them. They're sticking to it. Yep. But you have to try to win at some point. And right now it's not there. It's why 400 people are showing up on Monday nights. So it's it, – I don't know. We'll see. Well, Elliot talked about it there. The, the Reds' official social media accounts are doing more promotion for the AAA <laughs> guys than they are for anyone on our roster. Right. You see more clips of Ellie and CES than you do of anyone wearing actual red and white. So, I mean, what is there really to get excited about right now until we call these guys up? I mean, I would also argue too, Tom, like, at what point do you at least admit from a front office standpoint, and maybe they do this behind the scenes with Castellini, and I don't know how much, maybe you'll know way more about this than we ever will, but like, I, I, I just, I suspect that Castellinis have little to no input when it comes to baseball decisions, like on a, not a day-to-day -day basis, but in a relative season-long decision-making process. Maybe they do, maybe they don't. Like, whether they're in the ear of Crawl, whether they need to bring Ellie up or not, I don't know if that's even a part of the conversation. Well, I, I, I'm quite sure that Phil Castellini is not. Uh, he, he's in charge of running the business side, and then say what you will one way or the other about Phil Castellini when it comes to running the business side of the team up until his missteps here over the last year plus. He's been excellent at his job, but he has no say um, uh, on the baseball part. Now, Bob, well documented years ago, you know, when they wanted to start moving some of these guys, whether it was Chapman, Frazier, Bruce, more recently, Billy Hamilton, you know, there are stories out there that he got involved, said, I, I don't want to get rid of these guys. So go ahead to your point. That, knowing what I used to know from being down there every day, I can assure you Phil is not a part of any of that. So, the, okay, so that answers my question. At, at, at some point, when do you at least realize that maybe what you thought you had was a little bit better than what you expected and the timetables have shifted enough now where you know you got to do something you didn't plan on doing? Like, maybe they didn't think Ellie was going to break every stat cast record in the world and, 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 and do as well in AAA as he's been doing. I certainly know they probably didn't think CES was going to be their best hitter in spring and then turn that around, and he's basically been just as good at the AAA level since he's gotten there. And I know that, uh, you know, Kirby, is, Nick Kirby, is, is very educated, very knowledgeable about this franchise. And he brings up points all the time of whether or not why certain guys would get called up or not. This guy's walk efficiency rate. This guy's that rate. You know, you, you can use whatever metric you want to use, Tom, to justify the point that you're trying to make. Stats do lie. You can manipulate statistics yep. all you want to make it tell a story that either is true or not true if it's at the benefit of you. My thing is this. If you just watch the games and we were picking out of a sandlot 
right now, and you took all of the players at AAA, and you took all of the Reds, and you said, Nick Crawl, and give me another general manager. Your life, we're going to play like survivor mode, or I don't know, final <laughs> destiny. I don't care. Your life depends on this next seven-game series. Your life. If you don't win the series, you're dead. Pick. <laughs> this is point. playground it's style. It's a great Pick. point. Do you think Ellie De La Cruz goes more than two or three picks, Tom? Well, he doesn't go to the second pick. I mean, Chris Welsh was on this program and said, you could just show up at spring training this year and watching those guys work out in the cage, uh, out in the field, during infield, during all the drills, base running. He said, you don't even have to know who the guy is. By far the best player on the field. So he would be the first pick in that draft, would be my guess. And Encarnacion Strand would not last past four or five, right? McLean wouldn't have lasted past four or five, right? If you lined up all the pitchers, is Abbott going? Maybe after, if you want to say, okay, Green, Lodolo, Ash, okay. Would he be the next guy? Be pretty close. So I, that's, that's my main point. It's like, I'm so sick and tired of hearing everyone worry about people failing. It, it, it seems so crazy to me that we think that these guys are so soft. And you know what I would argue? I would argue that if they are that soft, you don't want them when it's not cutting time anyways, Tom. If a guy's so soft, no question, so psychologically delicate, that if he comes up and he doesn't get a hit in the first five games of his major league career, then boom, forget it. He's done forever. You really want that guy when there's game five of the World Series and you have to have a win and it's a sold-out crowd? You want the guy that's that delicate playing for your team? All right, but let me ask you that. I'm with you all the way on that. I've said that forever. But let me ask you this. In all seriousness, okay, if you did bring up, and we're going to get to Abbott here in a second because he's pitching tonight. But if you did bring up De La Cruz tonight, all right, now we heard Scott Boris uh, on this program last week. And, you know, we asked him the question, is there, you know, uh, a certain number? Now, now, baseball people might have their number, uh, how many innings for a pitcher, how many plate appearances or at-bats for a hitter, before you feel like you can confidently say, and there's no exact science, you can confidently say, I think this guy's going to be a good major league player, or it's time to cut bait. Okay. He brought up, which I found fascinating, some of the mental things that, that he really pays attention to with his company and the players they represent. And, and he got into the whole thing about you bring a guy up from the minor leagues, okay? Here he's realizing this dream, right? He's in the big leagues. He's had to travel from somewhere. He's had to get to somewhere. Nobody's feeling sorry for anybody here. But these are all real-world, real-time things, all right? The pressure that comes with playing in the big leagues, blah, blah, blah. How many tickets you're going to be, you know, you don't even know. How many tickets am I allowed to get to my major league debut and my mom and dad and sister and brother and aunt and uncle and cousin and everybody, they all want to come in and I, I got to take care of them. Where are they going to stay? Where am I going to stay? Team's getting me in a hotel. Do I got to go look for an apartment? How long am I going to be here? Right? All the stuff that goes on. Good problems to have. But the thing he then pointed out, which I found so interesting was, he says, when you bring guys up from the minor leagues, ever since they were in T-ball, these guys have been the best players 
on whatever teams they play on. T-ball, Little League, not whole, junior high, high school, summer league, some in college, some at the minor league level, all at the minor league level. They're the best players on the team, and they play every day. If you bring De La Cruz up tonight, you do have some questions to answer if you're going to bring him up and play him every day. All right? Somebody has to sit down. You've got a whole pile of middle infielders and a couple guys that can also play on the corner. So I'm assuming, and I want to put words in your mouth, if you brought De La Cruz up here tonight, you'd play him at short every day. What are you going to do with McLean? Well, let's you going to do what they did at AAA and bounce him and Cruz back and forth to third base? Let's be clear. We have three quality middle infielders. Two of them are at the big league club right now. One of them plays at AAA. All right. I think sometimes we act like we have this plethora of middle infielders that are just, I don't know what we're going to do. It's this, it's this Rubik's Cube. I can't figure it out. Uh, Barrero, I got news for you. He, he's not a Major League Baseball player right this but second. But he's an outfielder anyway now. Okay. So, so take him out of the mix. So take him out of the mix. All right. Cool. Kevin Newman, is that what we're talking about? Jonathan India. And then lastly, obviously, McLean. McLean has played so well at shortstop that I can understand the argument that is very difficult to want to move him off of that position because he has played incredibly well. Yep. And the only concern I would have as a Reds fan, if you wanted to make, I could make the argument for both sides. If you move McLean, does that, does that automatically assume that Ellie's going to be better? And are we sure about that? And if Ellie's not better, are you big enough of a person to say, you know what, we're going to move Ellie off of, off of short and put McLean back there because Ellie holds this such of this prestige when he comes up that he is the five-star quarterback. If you want to think of it that yep. way, I think more or less that McLean's like the Joe Burrow esque guy might not have all of the measurables that you might think as a prototypical, you know, pure athlete, but he's just a gamer. He's a guy that gets it done and he plays well. And you could just see that he has all the intangibles. But most times, like it or not, Tom, the five-star quarterback gets all of the opportunities before the quote-unquote three-star or walk-on. And that's what McLean is. So McLean's probably going to end up moving. I say you rip the Band-Aid off. You know what it is. Jonathan India is going to spot start at second base from time to time and give Jonathan India credit because I do. I want to give him credit. He's gotten better as a defensive player yes, at has. second base, and I'm sure he's busted his ass trying yep. to do that. So I want to give Jonathan India as much credit as I possibly can. However... Sometimes your best isn't good enough in life. And if you're not the best infielder or middle infielder defensively, then you DH and you spot start at second base. If Kevin Newman can find a way to start at second base for this team right now, I'd like to think that, that McLean and India could share that role a little bit. So you put Elliott shortstop right from the start. He's your five-star quarterback. You're going to see if he's the best guy at that position. India's going to DH from time to time. McLean's going to play second base most of the time. And like I said before, you can, you can also give India some spot start at the DH or at second base just for a trade value. No one wants to talk about it. Oh, you know, we don't want can't trade Jonathan India. Listen, I, 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 the problem when you do this, Tom, is it always seems like you're bashing somebody when you try to just be realistic with what you have. That's right. Jonathan India is an av a little bit of above average baseball player if you look across the league. 
He's not a, he's not like this perennial all-star type guy that you're moving on from. This isn't King Griffey Jr. when he was playing with the Seattle Mariners type stuff, you know? And I have a question at the end of this. Don't let me forget that I want to pose to everybody in here because it's very Cincinnati-based that I, that I thought when Rapine was on. But that's what I would do, Tom. That's what I would do. I would spot start Indy at second base, give him a DH opportunity. Maybe, again, I know Boris doesn't want him to go to left field. But that's because it's Boris. Well, I, I don't think Boris, you know, when we asked a question the other day about it, you know, Bo Boris was just saying that I, I, it's unfair to any player, not just one of his clients, but he believes it's unfair to any player to all of a sudden in the middle of a season without any, you know, time to prepare for that kind of move. Uh, that, and he made reference to one of his clients that got moved into the outfield in the game in Minnesota, I think he said it was, and a big prospect, and the guy got hurt you know, playing out there. So, I mean, look, it, we can all disagree with it and say, well, they used to do it this way and Pete Rose did it and all that. But, I mean, I, I can see a little bit where he's coming from here. Now, see, I would make the argument that if it was working at AAA when McLean was still there, because apparently what they were doing is, is that De La Cruz and McLean were shifting time at short and third, Right. So Correct, yeah. I would rather do that. And look, I, I, I've said all the time, I think the, the Reds ruined the guy from the very start or certainly didn't help. And injuries have been a big factor. But, I mean, and maybe you can move him to the outfield because he's played in the outfield. But, but, but Senzel's got to get off the third if you're going to bring De La Cruz up here, right? And, Even though he's your best defensive third baseman. And they have moved, if you've noticed, they have moved Senzel off of third base for a little while here. Yeah. Um, but he was in there yesterday. Yeah, but it seemed like there for a minute they were, they, they kind of had him out in the outfield for quite some time. Who knows? Like, I, I just can't believe we're in a position where we continue to act like what we have is so great or good, even good. I mean, if you took this roster right now and you said, hey, um, give me a marginal playoff team. Like, just, I don't know. The Dodgers is a tough one to use. But, like, I'm just thinking of a good team. When I see this team, and I'm like, damn, they're good. There's really not that many guys on this team that would even play on an everyday level for those teams. No. So, it's like, we're sitting here acting like, oh, my gosh, what are you going to do for, for Ellie De La Cruz to come up? How in the world are we going to fit him in this lineup? What are we going to do when CES comes up? He's supposed to play first base. Spencer Steers been our best first baseman. Well, Spencer Steers can play third base. Ellie yeah, De but I mean, Ellie I just Daylock. don't know where all this is going to end up. I really don't. I mean, Nick Kirby points out, you know, Encarnacion Strand commits two, two more errors at third base yesterday. He's not a third baseman. I understand that. But I'm saying, I get it. But something has to give. As a fan, you can't scream for all the young guys to get up here. Well, you can. But if you're going to scream for all the guys to get up here, and I get it. But you then have to say, okay, but where are they going to play? What tough decisions are we going to make? Think about all the things we talked about here today, right? Individuals, okay? We all agree India has played better at second base than from the start of the year, even better than the last two years. He's been better, and he works hard at it. He's considered to be a team leader, okay? End of the day, you know, he's a 270 hitter, He's got 20-something runs batted in, and you know he, he, he's a good player. He's a good player. 
He had a great rookie season, had a terrible second season. He's been better this year. All right. We've talked about Stevenson. You're going to make him your DH? Or are you just going to decide, you know what, this experiment thing with getting him off the plate, being a DH, being a first baseman, maybe that's not all work. And they're all right-handed hitters. Stevenson, Encarnacion, Strand, Steer. Okay, so we're not talking about mixing in some lefty every now and again. Oh, and by the way, Votto's out on rehab. Started on Saturday. So you know he wants to come back and play. But if you're going to scream for the guys to come up, where are you going to play them? If you're saying get them up here and play them, don't start them three days a week and sit them down four. Get them up here and play them all the time like they are with McLean. And he's playing his tail off. If you're going to scream for Encarnacion Strand to get up here, and man, you talk about a guy that is killing the ball. He's got 14 home runs in 30-something games, and he's hitting almost 350. He's killing the ball. Well, if he comes up, then something's got to give. You're going to make him a DH? Make him a DH. Right? But then all of a sudden, what are we going to do about Stevenson? What about those days we said that he was going to DH? Are we now going to do an about face and move him back to catcher? Maybe he'd like that best. I don't know. You bring up De La Cruz. Okay? That's fine. But if you're going to play him and McLean at the same time, you figure by Encarnacion, Strand may be coming up and playing first. You got to move Steer back over. What, what do you do with India? I mean, look, it's a good problem to have as far as all of these prospects and talented players. But where are you going to play them? Well, the elephant in the room, and, and it's been brought up by Cameron in the chat. And this is what I've been thinking the whole time. You can say whatever you want about Jonathan India. I think he's a good player. I think that he's somebody on this team right now, if you're looking at it. And if Ellie De La Cruz doesn't pan out, then I don't think this team's going to be like, I, I don't want to say he's the only person, but there's a couple guys that have to pan out for this team to actually be a playoff bound team. So if we're putting a lot of eggs in the basket that is Ellie De La Cruz, and if Ellie De La Cruz is anything close to what he's been at AAA and anything close to what everyone says he's going to be, then you know what you have to do, Tom? You have to make a hard decision in this town that they don't seem to do all that often, and that is get rid of somebody that people love, yep. and that is Jonathan India. You have to trade him while the stock's high, okay? And you have to get something in return in, in some kind of depth piece from the starting pitcher's position, in my opinion. It's like if we have all these guys at middle infield, Tom, how big of a drop-off? And corner, I, and corner at infielders. Yeah, I would beg the question, Tom, to the people that think that Jonathan India, you can't trade him at all no matter what. And this is where I, this is where I hate to do this, but I'm just going to do it because that's the way that it is and call me Toxic Trace all you want. What exactly, and I don't want to tear Jonathan India down, but I, I would just ask you to think critically about this. What has Jonathan India been a leader of that makes you so scared that if he left, you would lose? This, this, this team, since he's been brought up, has been trash. They've been awful. They've been garbage. They've been historically bad. But he's the leader somehow of this team. And if he were to leave, what exactly do we lose, Tom? And on top of that, if you look at his numbers, they're, they're good. They're, they're, 
they're good, and you would argue they're maybe the best on this Reds team. That's because there's not that many good major league team, major league players on this team. Period. So, if the drop off between Jonathan India, ask yourself this: What is the drop off between Jonathan India and Matt McLean on an everyday level in the major leagues? And if it's not that much, there's only one move to make, and that is you got to trade him. Because the drop-off between that position and down is not that significant. The drop-off between our third and fourth starter... Now listen, if, if Hunter Green isn't any good, Lodolo's not any good, and Ashcraft's not any good, then you can take it to the bank regardless. It's not going to work, period. It doesn't matter how good all these other guys are. So, you know, we can sit here and say that, oh, well, if this pans out, that's great. But if this doesn't pan out... Major League Baseball, you said it from the very beginning, Tom... It, to win as a small franchise, a small market franchise, a lot of things have to go right, man. Yep. A lot of things have to go right. And you know what? One thing that can't go wrong is injuries, depth. There's not a lot of depth in this franchise, and there's not a lot of depth in a lot of franchises, if we want to be honest, largely because the, all of the big-time players get swooped up by people that spend a lot of money. And that's a, that's a systemic problem within Major League Baseball that we don't need to get into today. But the truth is, is that this Reds franchise is in a position where we can't play fan favorites anymore. you got to move on from guys. And Jonathan India is playing great right now. The truth is, you could get back from Jonathan India right now. And I'm not saying you package Stevenson. Now I sound like a real big fan, but I don't think. If the price <laughs> is right, brother. Uh, well, so, but, but to finish my point, Tom, is if, if, if you're in a position right now as a Reds franchise... At the middle of last year when India got hurt and he had to go extended periods of yep. time with not playing, if you would have said to Nick Crawl back then, hey, listen, in June of 2023, if I told you right now you could get this back for Jonathan India when he went on the IL last year, Nick Crawl would have been doing cartwheels. He would have been doing backflips in his office. You can't always have it both ways. You can't wait for the guy to start going downhill and then want to trade him because that's what this franchise has done time and time and time and time again. You can't do that. You got to trade guys when they're at their peak value and hope that you're right and you can and you can get somebody back in return. It's as simple as that. You know, Tyler Malley is a guy that we moved on from, right? Pretty good pitcher. And yeah, he did get hurt and that stinks for the Twins. But we got back CES and we got back Spencer Steer. When we traded Malley, I'd like to see the comments of everybody, how pissed all the people were in Cincinnati Reds fandom about how we moved on from Tyler Malley and we, didn't, we needed that guy. You don't need anybody for the most part in a franchise. And I would argue to you, what is it? And I want to ask the question for everybody. What is it about this town, this specific town, always wanting to make sure that we do the loyal thing? We want to make sure we hold on to guys that have been here forever. We want to take care of them. What other professional well, franchise? I think there are a lot of towns that fall under that because I think we're living in a day and age as it particularly pertains to baseball. Football is becoming a little more like that. Basketball certainly is, but baseball especially. I think all of us romanticize about the fact whatever team you grew up rooting for, right? I mean, if you go to Cub fans, they could tell you the entire Cubs lineup from 1969 when they collapsed at the end of the year and didn't make the playoffs. But they knew every year they had Ernie Banks. And they had Ron Sano, and they had Billy Williams, and Ferguson Jenkins. They knew they had all those guys. Glenn Becker and Randy Hundley. Big Red Machine guy, all those guys, right? And, and so I, I think now there is so much player movement that there are a lot of fans that are saying, gosh, I just wish we could hang on to some guys for a while. 
I think that's just a natural tendency, right? Well, I think the, the argument, I, I think what's happening here is Cincinnati, we, we've, we've wanted to win for so long and we haven't gotten anything, apart from the Bengals the past few years. But the, the Reds, you know, you're going into each season knowing you're not going to win 90 games probably. It's happened like, what, three times in 25 years? So the one, the one constant you have as a Reds fan, I'm going to see somebody I like. That's the argument I would make, is that the, the Reds fans that show up, granted it's not many anymore, we're talking 8,000 on a Tuesday, they're coming to see Jonathan India. They're selling four jerseys in the, in, the pro, in the club shop. They're selling four. One of them's a guy who's been here for 20 years. Two of them are uh, Jonathan India and Tyler Stevenson, and I don't know who the other one would be. But right now, people are coming to the ballpark for Jonathan India. People want guys like Jonathan India. Because if, if we're going to lose, if we're going to lose 100 games again, at least I can see Jonathan India's hair blown in the wind when he runs the second base. The, but, but, the, but to credit to you, it has to evolve from that. It has to become a business. Fans have to see it like a business. A, a business. Patriots fans don't have fan favorites. They win games. They win. It has to evolve from, from that point to the point where we're at. The issue is it hasn't. So fans right now are scared because this is, a, this, is, this is something right now we're trying to do that's never happened. We're trying to be successful. We're trying to advance in the postseason. It hasn't happened in 25 years. So, so when, you, when you look at Jonathan India, Tyler Stevenson, guys that fans love, fans, fans come to the ballpark for, and you take them away, then what do you have? Is the argument I would make for Reds fans. But again, it has to become a business, like Trey said. You have to be able to trade Jonathan India. Will they? I don't know. But that's the argument I would make for the, the common fan. The only argument I would make to that is that most Reds fans, I think all Reds fans, see, they see what's going on. They, they see Matt McClain. Well, maybe not everyone, but Matt McCain or Matt McClain, it, it doesn't <laughs> matter. But Matt McClain is a guy that it, you could argue, he looks the part. He looks like he's an everyday big leaguer, and you have Ellie De La Cruz right on his footsteps. And we've never been in a position where we've had this before. Tom, we've let guys go with no answer behind them. That's been the Reds. That's where that's most right. people get mad. That's right. That's the difference. We're trading Jonathan India because we think that we have a better option below him and we need to get the value out of him while we still have it. Because it's a two-way street, too. No one wants to talk about this. Jonathan India has to agree to move positions, one. He also has to continue to want to be a Cincinnati Red because he's going to go to arbitration. He's going to make money. And then on top of that, he also has to then re-sign with the Reds when he's a free agent in three or four years, when the Reds, truthfully, in that time frame, need to be competitive as hell. That's when, if you want to call windows, and I know Nick Kirby talks all the time, we need to get out of windows, we need to just continue to be, the reason you continue to be successful is because you do what the successful franchises do. You do what the Patriots have done for years, Tom. Tom, you've been around so many successful franchises. Most of them, people don't like the way they do their quote-unquote business. They don't, I, I hear Packers, you see Aaron Rodgers, you hear Packers players all the time complaining. They just cut me, let me for dry, act like I'm no good. Well, that's because you didn't have much value anymore to the, to the, to the business, and you got let go, right? Same with the Patriots. Do you think Joe Mixon, and again, I'm not trying to go back and kill the Bengals for this, but I just can't believe that I'm sitting in a town that doesn't ever want to move on from these older athletes that have been staples in the community. And you mentioned that Castellini went to the business people that run baseball as a business saying, hey, we need to get rid of Frazier and we need to get rid of Bruce. We need to get rid of Chapman because now's the time. We need to get some guys back because the cupboard's going to be bare if we don't. No, we need to keep them because people in this town love them. Do you think Joe Mixon would be playing for the Patriots 
if, if, if it was ran by their organization and they were like, hey, we have an opportunity. We got a QB on his rookie deal. We need to go out and, 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 and win while we have an opportunity. Do you think that they would just say, you know what? We're going to pay Mixon just you because know he's what? been a franchise I, I, I guy. Mean, that's an interesting question because I, I, I think, look, at the end of the day, the Patriots certainly have run that as a business in many, many ways. But, but their main business has been winning football games. So I think if they, to answer your question, I mean, I'm guessing this is all speculation. We'd never know. Right. But, I mean, I think your initial reaction or instinct would be they'd cut him loose. But then I think, well, wait a minute now. If the Patriots indeed had a team and they think they're going to go to the Super Bowl or have a chance to go to the Super Bowl, and they're like, okay, well, what's option B here? All right, we got everybody else lined up, which the Bengals have. And the one thing they don't have is right now a player who is better than Mixon. So the franchise is saying, you know what? We're going to keep him. He was still a pretty damn good player here last year. He had the third most receptions by any running back in the league. He still he ran for almost 1,000, even in a bad year, missed some games. I mean, you're not talking about some player who's a stiff, which the Patriots will cut, to your point about the Packers. They'll cut some guys if all of a sudden, you know, their market – value is declining from production standpoint. I think the Patriots would keep Mixon this year. I think there's no doubt he'd be gone next year. But I think they'd keep him or they would have made it a priority in the draft and you're really rolling the dice on a rookie running back. It's been done before. I get it. Pacheco this year was basically a rookie running back and you know look what he did and they go to the Super Bowl and they won the Super Bowl. But to your point though about where fans get upset is when you trade guys and don't get the value in return and they feel like you're just dumping a guy because you think he's going to make some money down the road. But that is the two-for-one on this deal with India now. Because he will go to salary arbitration at the end of this year. And a guy like him is going to get a big jump. No, it's not going to be one of these 10, 11, 12 million dollars. It's not going to be anything like that. But after three full years in the big leagues, right, they compare you to other fourth-year rising, fourth-year players. He'll have a rookie of the year under his belt. He'll probably have good numbers playing this year because he, he's having a good year. So, you know, look, uh, the, the money part of it uh, is not a huge deal when it comes to India, but it is part of the deal with India. And you ask yourself the question, if you can bring up De La Cruz, you've already brought up McLean, no, John McCain, you got me thinking. McLean, <laughs> um, you know, you bring him up and, and you, you bring up Encarnacion Strand, buy those contracts off the books next year. Uh, you got to hope for good help from Green. Get Lodolo back. Better production out of Ashcraft or maybe Ashcraft gets bypassed. Which, before we get out of here, Andrew Abbott tonight. Now that's exciting, Right. Jacob? Very exciting. Very exciting. He's a top 100 prospect. Top 10 prospect in our organization. How can you not get excited about that? Everyone's getting caught up in, you know, wanting LA up, wanting CES up. We have other exciting guys in this franchise. People should be excited about Andrew Abbott tonight. Jets, thoughts? Yeah, I'm excited. I've been, I've been asking for Andrew Abbott to come up um, for a little while. But I, I got to give credit for the guys that have been up here that have been piecemealing this together outside the the we, we we have these guys the big three which obviously at this point it's a little bit of a joke that that's the case but um 
the guys that have been outside the the big three, if we're going to keep calling them that, um, Lodolo, Ashcraft, and Green, have been pretty good. Like, they've been admirable. Outside of Connor Overton, of course, and Luis Sessa, who those guys, you know, I don't know, maybe they're – Maybe they're working at Kroger's now. I'm not sure what they're doing. <laughs> but outside of those two guys, everyone everyone else has been has been really good. So Andrew Abbott, hopefully he gives it. Williamson, another guy. Struggled at the minor league level. Was struggling at AAA. People were giving up on Williamson. He's come up to the big leagues and he's looked great. Now yes, he's played he's and, pitched and, well. And that's the point I've tried to make before about sending some shocks to the system. Sometimes, Tom, you get in this you get in this rut where you're just somewhere all the time, you're doing the same things all the time. They just brought Williamson up and said, hey, I know you've been struggling yep. with AAA. Let's, boom. Let's and just... I know you're going to start for the first time in the big leagues in Denver. Yeah. So we're, we're all worried about these guys' psychological problems, but we don't have a problem with throwing Williamson to the Wolves out there in Colorado. <laughs> and next thing you know, boom, like that, you know, he's doing okay. However, I am excited about Andrew Abbott tonight. I think Abbott is a guy, for those that don't know, he had, an, he had a pretty damn good career at Virginia, I believe. Um, yep. He's not, he's not this high school kid that's just a flamethrower that he's relying all on talent, you know. I think Abbott, Abbott is a pitcher. And I, what I mean by that is I think that he's a guy that's crafty enough to get guys out. Bronson Arroyo is a guy that comes to mind when I, when I say it. he's a pitcher. Um, I'm not suggesting that Andrew Abbott's going to have anywhere close to a career as Bronson Arroyo. But when I think of those two types of molds, uh, I do get excited to be able to watch guys that are very good at their craft more than just, hey, I'm going to try to throw 100 miles an hour past you. Which he does strike um, out a lot of guys. He's got good stuff. Yeah, he's got great and stuff. And he's a little older than, than, than some of the other guys. You know, I mean, like you said, college guy, 24 years old. So tonight is his uh, major league debut. All right, before we get out of here, do we have, or are we just scrambling to get on the air, do we have a cherry on top or no? We do not. All right. However... Uh, if you give me, you buy me, you buy me like two minutes. I do want to show you something, Tom. I think I can get it. Okay. You know what? Our, uh, while you do that, uh, we're going to say our cherry on top, um, is to Casey. I mean, here he is not in the studio today, but a married man. First Monday of his life. His head comes off the pillow as a married man. He's sitting on the beach somewhere. I don't know if that's on the beach of the mighty Ohio over in Bellevue. Or he's off on some lavish vacation. Do you guys know? I'm on a, yeah, on a I don't know. I don't know. I think he wanted to keep that top secret for the paparazzi. <laughs> I'm leaving him be. Sore boy would have found him if he gave that out. Tom, how was your wedding night? Do you remember it? Oh, yeah. Out in Arizona, it was, it was awesome. It was, uh, it was fantastic. Fantastic. Yes, and, um, and we'll be hearing about your guys' wedding nights one day. Maybe. We'll see. <laughs> well, you'd have to get a date first. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's that an issue. That might help. That's an issue. Uh, what do we got here, Trey? Right. What are you pulling up? So I, I, I seen this this morning, and to give you an idea on what this is, Victor Hovland yep. just won the memorial. Yes. That is a designated event, Tom, which means that it is a very, very, very high payday. Millions of dollars. Four million to be exact. He won that tournament yesterday afternoon. His boy, who he played with at Oklahoma State, had to play in a qualifier for the U.S. Open. It just so happens that they put that right next to uh, Muirfield Village, I think, in Dublin. Yep. Right after the memorial, there is a U.S. qualifier. A lot of guys that, that play in the memorial or fringe guys might then play in that qualifier. 
His boy that he played with at Oklahoma State was playing in that qualifier. He told him before the tournament that he was going to caddy for him. And sure enough, the very next morning, there he is, the champion of the Memorial Golf Tournament. That's this morning. Is this morning, the very night after, woke up, and he's carrying a bag for his boy that he went to school with. Now that is a, that's a man's man. That's a big ligger. That's a friend, right? You can talk about being a friend, but then are you going to do what you got to do to be a friend? He's now one of my new favorites, Victor Hovland. Congratulations to him winning the, the tournament that Jack built, the Memorial in Dublin, Ohio. Gentlemen, beautifully done today. Great job. Hot mics or no hot mics. So Trace, Elliot, Jacob, thank you, gentlemen. We thank all of you. Uh, no box lunch today, I'm assuming. Nobody's around. <laughs> it's a ghost town around here. No workers, Tom. All right, all right, all right. And by the way, Sean Spurlock informed us when we were talking about Prince Fielder earlier and that whole Spencer Steer conversation. He missed 13 games in nine years. It's a great athlete right there. Like, a, like a bowling ball coming at you. Nine years. And Sean speculated that one of them was not against a first place team at home in front of a sellout crowd on a Friday night. Probably a safe bet. Even if Randy Johnson was pitching, he'd have been in the lineup. All right. We'll see you tomorrow. Have a great rest of your Monday.